In improvisational theater, there is an adage that says, make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll, speaking with guests and listeners like you. Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here is your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the ninth episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or the show, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website. That's carolcoaching.com or go directly to voiceamerica.com on the business channel and be sure to download the app. Now, if you missed last week's show, I talked about an epiphany I had 20 plus years ago, and it gave me a whole new insight into human dynamics. You'll also hear two interviews with different clients, one a recovering predator and the other a recovering prey, and you'll find out what they did to recalibrate the relationships in their business interactions and get more of what they want. Today, my guest is Kat Coppett. Welcome, Kat. Hi, how you doing? Good. Thanks for joining me today. Sure. Now, Kat, our paths have crossed many times, and it started way back in 1998. Um, You were teaching at Bay Area Theater Sports, also known as BATS in San Francisco area. And I I had already been living in Switzerland, um, and I was just starting to get into coaching and learning about that and getting my education and began studying improv. Now, I took the course at BATS on my sister Pat's recommendation, who was told to study improv a few years before on our sister Sheila's recommendation, (laughs) who had seen a performance. And that's, and she just, in the performance, she just thought, oh, there's something in here Pat needs to know about. And so BATS was my intro to improv with the insightful and the talented Keith Johnstone. Mm -hmm. Now, um, remind me what classes you taught back then. Do you remember? Oh, a, a bunch from, mm-hmm. you know, all the different levels and storytelling classes and, um, yeah, performance classes. Yeah, the storytelling, that sounds familiar. I feel like, because I remember being in your class and it was sort of like, you know, just sort of calm discussions. And yeah, that was probably what I took with <laughs> you. Now, some more background about Kat. She's the founder of Coppet, which is a company blending traditional organizational development tools and principles with cutting edge, imp- cutting edge. Ooh, that's good. Cutting, cutting mm-hmm. edge. Yeah, that might be a twist. Cutting edge improvisation and storytelling techniques. Her company works with a diverse Royster. Royster. <laughs> that's <laughs> just gonna, arbitrarily cr- make up words <laughs> okay, as we good. go along. All right. Good. I like that. Uh, Royster of organizations from the Clinton Global Initiative, Apple, Prezi, Oracle, NASA, GE, and PwC, just to name some of your clients. And you also have a background in organizational psychology from Columbia, which is where my father went to school. Oh, mine too. How funny. They were in school together. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Kat's a certified professional co-active coach, co-director of Mopco Improv Theater in upstate New York and host of the podcast Dare to be Human, which 
I would describe as down to earth, easy to listen to, and very generous with suggestions and offer. Really, I can highly recommend that to listeners to check it out. Uh, what is your tagline for the podcast? I remember hearing it once. Uh, you asked me this question, and I went and researched it, and I think we have about twelve because it's very <laughs> it's a very improvisational podcast. But the gist of it is about applying the principles and mindsets of improvisation in the wild, in real life. <laughs> As in, yes, with other unsuspecting human beings. Mm-hmm. Now, That's right. Now, I may not have mentioned yet, Kat is also, among all these other things, an author. And she wrote a book, Training to Imagine, which I, how many, that would have been 30-something years ago you wrote that? The first Possible? edition came out in 2001. Okay. Then the second 19. edition in 2012. Okay, so is when I went back and studied again. All right, so I picked up the book, and it has become my Bible. It's like, you know, dog ears. I've got little post-it notes, and I don't do that with books. I'm not one of those people. Though this, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be referring to this many times. And I, um, yeah, and like I said, I, I bought copies. I gave them to colleagues. And what I love about your book is that it's super user-friendly, explaining and showing with loads of easy-to-understand and funny examples how to apply improvisational theater techniques to whether it's enhancing creativity, teamwork, leadership, learning, you know, out in the wild, as you say. And I can also say not only is it useful for the business environment, I would encourage parents to get a copy of this book and to use it with their kids and teenagers to help not only keep them entertained during, you know, moments where you don't get to go out to, Uh, the movies or public spaces these days, right? It's also great for educating them on these skills um, that, you know, are so beneficial for kids. Because I don't know about you, Kat, whenever I'm teaching the skills, we'll talk later about the power and status. Inevitably, I hear people say, why didn't, why don't we teach this to our kids? Why didn't I learn this in school? Yeah. Um, You know, my daughter is a senior in high school, and she has had a couple of schools that have taught interpersonal skills. She was part of the pilot of Goldie Hawn's emotional intelligence program that wow. she had for a while. But even among her fellow students in those programs, the fact that she's been exposed to improv all her life, I see enabling her in ways that uh, many of her peers do not have. Now, I I would never take responsibility for this. You know, she would blanch at the fact that her mother's <laughs> profession, you know, was responsible at all. Yeah, but heaven forbid. <laughs> she speaks to adults in ways, you know, comfortably. She navigates new situations. She adapts to environments that she's in. She has a confidence um, speaking to other human beings that is not usual for her generation. It's not typical. Right for her generation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure that is very true. So I think that they can't be underestimated the power of teaching these skills to kids. And if you don't have the time or inclination, listeners, find improv troops, because there's plenty out there that are often designed specifically for teenagers Mm. and adolescents to, you know, as a way to build those social skills. Now, 
A few years back, you and I reconnected at, in Paris at a conference, which I'll tell listeners about. It's called AIN, Applied Improv Network. I talked about this last week um, in the episode a week or two ago. I think it was a show with Drew Tarvin, who's also a, a very skilled improviser. Yes, we, Kat and I both think the world of him. And um, AIN is a network of professionals who use improv techniques to teach the collaboration, the conflict resolution, the creativity, all that stuff. And Kat, I remember because you, in that specific conference, you did a workshop on bias, diversity and inclusion and exclusion. Yes. And I think it was incredibly simple. You did it with cards and you had people choose um, do you remember any of the specifics of that workshop? Yeah, I think what we did was we had people think about their life history or their life journey. And then um, we used a deck of cards. We handed out cards and we said, if, you're a, if you have a spade, uh, we'd like you to think about your life journey uh, only instead of being male, uh, whatever gender you are, pick a different gender. Okay. And if you have a heart instead of whatever uh, sexual orientation you have, pick a different sexual orientation. And if you've got a diamond, uh, whatever um, racial identity you have, pick a different racial identity. Mm -hmm. And if you're a club, whatever, um, uh, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Whatever physical, physical ability you have, pick a different physical ability. Right. Mm-hmm. Ability or disability, disability going both ways. Right, yeah. Right. So, right. So, if you're physically completely abled, maybe you know find some kind of uh, right physical limitation that you have, or mm-hmm. if you can't see, maybe now you can't see. Mm-hmm. And then go back and look at your life and see how that change in gender, yeah, or physical ability, or sexual orientation, or racial identity. Yeah. How do you think that would have impacted your yeah. journey? And we had people reflect on that and then share stories before and after. Yeah, it, it was so powerful. And um, I, mine was to switch my race, so I became a person of color. And boy, the rage that I accessed felt, you know, it, yeah, really, whew, it was very powerful. Yeah. So. If I didn't thank you before, <laughs> let me thank you for now for that one. You know, that activity, we modified it a little bit, but it comes from Tiagi. Oh. Who I'm sure you know, and I, um, many of your listeners may, may not, but if they don't, they should look him up. He has, he's one of the great world gurus in the area of interactive strategies for learning. Yeah, he wrote your intro to your book, I remember. Yeah, I got to a do a training with him in Switzerland, was it? Yeah, it was in Switzerland. Yeah. And um, so it's, is it Tiagi.com? Uh, yes, T-H-I-A-G-I.com. Yeah. And he's got all sorts of free resources. Oh. He does workshops globally all the time. He's yeah. He's a brilliant yeah. master. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, I, and then we got to reconnect again this summer mm-hmm. because of covid the network, the AIN network, decided to put on TEDx-type talk Zoom um, gatherings. And so from past conferences, people have done these TEDx-type talks. We would watch them together and then discuss them. So you and I were in a breakout together. 
And it was, I think it was like our third one in a row. So we were, we were yeah. just going off, you know, riffing on other things. And you, and I mentioned something about storytelling and you said, oh, well, interestingly, we're going to have Matthew Dix do an all day workshop. And, you know, we've just convinced him to do it, to do it online because you guys are based in New York. And I'm thinking, you know, I'd love to come <laughs> for the workshop. And then I realized, oh, I could do it. And, you know, I, I, I here's what was amazing. It started at 3.30 in the afternoon, my time, on a Saturday. Went till 11 o'clock at night. So I have to admit, I was double, like, a little nervous. Am I going to be able to have the energy and interest to follow this all day? It was a non-issue. He kept us so engaged. He designed the program so well. And I remember he told us afterwards he wasn't convinced, and he was so glad you talked him into it. Yeah. Yeah. He he didn't want to do it. Now he does it all the time. Really? Because he has fans all over the world. Right, right. It's one of the gifts of this time, right? It it, it is. There are so many gifts. And here's a a side gift that happened to me. Because of that workshop, it gave me a whole other level of confidence to do online programs. I had a client come to me and said, Amy, we'd like you to do a communication workshop in two and a half days. I said, well, I'm going to propose a full day. And they looked at me in horror, like, oh, no one's going to want to do a full day. I said, well, here's my experience. This is what I learned. And I believe that we can do it. And it, it has potential. I wasn't, wasn't sure. It has potential to be a home run. And Kat, I worked so hard designing that. And that's not my favorite thing to do, though I was incredibly meticulous. And just like Matt did, I gave loads of breaks. I gave activities during the breaks to do. And these 12 people came back and they raved about it. So indirectly, yeah, I have a big, you know, big thanks to you um, for that happening. That was uh, just delightful. Yes. I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. Oh, so now that uh, the listeners know all that whole interesting backstory, um, let's jump into talking more specifically about what improv is and how it applies in real life. Great. So uh, the bottom line is human beings are performing all the time, we would posit that every interaction we have is a little improvisational scene that we are doing. And I just said... Whether that's picking up the phone to call a a repair person or going into a restaurant ordering a meal, any exchange is perceived as a performance. Yes. And let me break that down a little bit, because as soon as I say that... um, people can have a little bit of a reaction okay. to this word performance, right? right? So when I say uh, we're all performing all the time, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean um, we're all faking it. I don't mean we're being inauthentic. I don't mean um, we're deliberately scheming or being manipulative or hiding our true selves. We may be in any given moment, we may be authentic or in a, inauthentic. Most of the time, actually, we're performing habitually or unconsciously scripts that we've learned over time. Yeah. Right. Which is why when I talk to my mother on the phone, no matter what I intend, it kind of goes the same way Mm -hmm. every time we have the same conversation every time I talk to her. In fact, a lot of research about personality seems to be that that's, those are just sort of habitual scripts that we learn. And uh-huh. it's why someone may think that you have X personality. 
this group of friends or your family. And then you have this group of friends over here who would say, oh, no, she's a totally different person just because you have a different script, script. or whatever with them. Interesting. So our, our fundamental premise is that human beings are, quote, performing all the time. And if we, what we help try to help people do is to, first of all, expand their awareness of how they're performing and the mm-hmm. impact it's having. And then secondly, the way improvisers do, start to expand their range of options in any given moment so that they are, in fact, we are, in fact, performing more like improvisers perform uh, rather than just unconsciously sort of at the whim of these unconscious scripts and habits, but so that we can be aligned with our intention in the moment and, and, and also to um, be aware of, you talk about, you know, rather than being on automatic and these habits, because we're also at, um, what's the word I want? At the, we're vulnerable to our state of mind, the other person, things like that. Whereas when we're aware and conscious, we can make a different choice. Yes. Here's a, uh, an example that just happened today. I was at an outdoor restaurant having lunch with friends. Mm. And this was in the Swiss German part. I don't speak Swiss German. And so um, when the waitress came over, um, she there was something in her energy. I always like to you know, connect with the, the wait staff as a way to increase the chances of having a, a lovely, positive experience. And there was something in her energy that I wasn't mm, sure that it was going to go so well. <laughs> so I said to her, my very best French, um, I complimented her on a tattoo she had on her wrist because it was like a bracelet. It was very cool. Mm. And she snapped at me. She said, I don't speak French. <laughs> and because I was aware and conscious and put my ego to the side, took a deep breath. And then I said, oh, and then I sw- and she listed the languages she speaks, which like many Swiss people is at least three or four. <laughs> I know it's always impressive. And I said, oh, okay, great. English is one of the options. And I said, oh, I, I love your tattoo. It's really beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, it, she just shifted right after that. Um, so I think that's an example where luckily – I was conscious and aware in the moment, so I didn't slip into the habit, which would have been just to drop it or get snarky back or something else. Right. So you're making a conscious and deliberate choice with your intention or your goal in mind in that little improvisational scene, right? Because you didn't have a script ahead of time. So that's it. Okay. So expanding our awareness, expanding our range. So that's... That's improv. We are making it up. Every little interaction you have is an improvisational scene. And the more aware and the more choices you have, then the more effective you can be. Mm -hmm. So what is it about these large organizations that are wanting to bring improv into their companies? So that's the foundational level, right, is they want to enhance performance, interpersonal performance at the individual level for leaders, at the group level for teams, uh, at the organizational level in terms of culture, creating more inclusive, supportive, and motivating culture. Um, the, The buzzwords that organizations have that they bring us in for 
are things like they want more innovative cultures, they want more inclusive cultures, they want more um, collaborative cultures, more right? risk-taking, they, more risk-taking, more resilient cultures, mm. more adaptive cultures, right? Um, more flexible cultures, right? All of those those kinds of things, and. Um, of course, in moments like now, now more than ever, right? It's always been true that we didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow or that we had to be responsive. And <laughs> now we're just aware happened. of it. <laughs> but now we know it, right? Now we know it. Uh, so, so that's why. And, and the simple way to think about why actually bringing in improvisational theater techniques and principles is useful in that environment is because improvisers have developed this way of thinking about uh, flexibility, spontaneity, connection, responsiveness, paying attention as muscles that can be exercised as opposed to just ideas or knowledge or information. Mm -hmm. And so we become sort of the gymnasium for exercising those muscles in a way that other people might just think about them as things to read about or knowledge to acquire or innate abilities that people either have or they don't. Right. So you move it from this in intellectual concept to what I call muscle memory. You know, it's really exactly. in the body. Right. So improv becomes the gym yep. for exercising all of these skills. Mm -hmm that organizations know they need to have and want to build, but they're not quite sure how to do that. Yeah. And then the application from an improv exercise to the real world is, can be very seamless. Yes. Because and it, it can be seamless. Uh, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that feels important to us and I know is important to you. And I think the the best practitioners is important to is that we're really making a link between, you know, what is this theater exercise and how does it, how does it really link to a performance outcome in our context? Right. So we won't just play an improv game with you. We'll say, all right, so here's the muscle we're exercising. How do we isolate that muscle? And where then do you use that in real life? What does it look like in the wild, in, yeah. in practice, right? Yeah. So, we're exercising our listening skills in an improv scene. How do we now translate that to listening in a career conversation with someone we're managing or in a sales conversation with a client or. Yeah. The direct applicability. Exactly. right. So one of the things I know you work a lot on and um, that I'm fascinated by and work a bit with clients is storytelling. Um, how, what is storytelling from the perspective of business context? We define storytelling in a very, very broad way. We, Jerome Bruner, the cognitive psychologist said, story is meaning. And we start there. So we say, anytime that I am receiving data or information mm. and making sense of it, in essence, what I'm doing is making up a story in my head and that we again as human beings innately fundamentally are doing that all the time so communication effective communication is about figuring out what is the story in my head what is the message that I want to convey and then figuring out what is the best way to articulate 
craft form the story in a way that the person that I am communicating to will be most likely to receive the same story in their head, make up the same story in their head when they hear me speak that I am wanting to convey. You're with your intention. Mm -hmm. With my intention. And then how do I make it compelling and sticky and Mm -hmm. memorable and inspiring and have it motivate what I want it to motivate? Mm -hmm. I think that that's always true in every context. I think what's specific to business is in business, we are, you know, what the objective is of that story is very specific, right? It's usually to motivate action in a very specific way towards a business goal. Right. right? Okay. So how about we do this? I want to tell you a story, which I think will also fit in the category of a dare to be human story. Um, And then we'll tell, and then probably when we come back from break, we'll then like, have you break it down, analyze it with me and choose different audiences and how we might customize that story. Yeah. So here's what happened. This is probably about 12 years ago. I, when I'm teaching a class, a small group intensive, it's six maximum eight feet, eight people. I let the client talk me into squeezing 11 people into this training. Needless to say, I was a little bit stressed. That's my ex, my excuse for what happened next. All right. All right. So, um, I, I'm having a conversation. Let's call this guy Matthew. And Matthew was, I would say he was, um, he, he had an opinion and I had a different opinion. And we were going back and forth, back and forth. And he was getting more insistent and 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 resistant. And I um, finally, I, I because I was so stressed for the time, I said, Matthew, that's not what I'm saying. Or, you know, Matthew, that's not the point. Or Matthew, we agree to disagree, something like that. I just shut the guy down, Kat. And then I went on with the training. And over the next eight, nine, ten minutes in the back of my head, this whole exchange is spinning. And, and this light bulb kind of slowly dawns. And I went, oh, my God, I went predator on a participant. And I was horrified. Because that's what I'm, I'm up there preaching. I mean, could I have been more hypocritical? <laughs> Be a partner. Matthew, knock it off. <laughs> and, and so the, the pain of this realization and the embarrassment and the shame all coming up at the same time. And then like, well, it's been 10 minutes now. What do I do? Do I ignore it? Do I avoid it? Yeah. You know, when, and finally I just took a deep breath. I said, um, I got to pause for a second. I realized that I just went predator on Matthew and Matthew, who was a prey, who was going, no, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, no, you didn't. And, 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 and Kat, one of the things I noticed was that he was shrinking the, over that eight to 10 minutes of my realization. I could see him physically getting smaller in his chair. And, and I, I said, yes, Matthew, I did. And, and then he said, no, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. He was so freaked out perhaps. And then Patrick next to him says, yeah, you did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Patrick, the old predator. I said, you're right, Patrick. I really, I, I went predator on you, Matthew. And that was not okay. And so Matthew started sitting there and I said, let's, let's rewind that. I said, now, if I had more presence, if I was more awareness, this is ideally how I would have done it. And I said, and this is what you're going to want to do every time you mess up and go prayer predator as you replay it in your head. So Matthew, what I should have said was, you know, Matthew, I'm, 
sensing that we, you know, we we are disagreeing here, and I'm or I'm sensing I'm not, you know, we may not find a resolution. Here's a request I have: Would you be open to the possibility that this might there might be an option in here this for you? And and I w- could have just invited you to consider that, and and not you know I had this back black and white back and forth thinking, and and so Matthew I'm I'm sorry for that and you know I hope this is useful for everyone in the class. And what was fascinating is over the next ten or fifteen minutes, I swear it was like a flower getting water. He just started to <laughs> physically get bigger again, and you know the rest of the day and and there was a couple of days after that training I. I continued to feel a sense of embarrassment and humiliation and shame and disappointment within myself. Um, Though that, so that's the story. I'm going to pause it there. And when we come back from break, we'll let's dissect that. Great. And if you want to find out more about Kat during the break, you can visit her website, cop.com. That's K-O-P-P-E-T-T.com. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theater, as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more out of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Send an email with questions or comments or to share your own interpersonal communication dilemmas to amy at carolcoaching.com. That's amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. I'm here with my guest, Kat Coppett, and we're talking about the power of improv, using it in business, and very specifically, we're talking right now about storytelling. So, Kat, now that um, we're back, let's, I'm going to have you guide me through this story that I just shared about going predator on a participant. Yeah. Well, so one of the things, it's a great story, right? And if you were to think about where you might want to use this story. 
one of the things you would want to ask yourself is who is the audience? What's the key message in this Mm -hmm. story here? So what's the moral of this story um, that I might want to use it for? So what would you say your key message is in the story? The importance of, hmm, there might be a couple of them. One is the importance of awareness Mm -hmm. of knowing when you're slipping into the, um, point of no return, yeah. becoming aggressive and dominant and pushy. Another is daring to be brave and bold and courageous and acknowledge as soon as you can when you're wrong because it will continue to happen in life. Great. Um, yeah. So there's two. I'm sure you could probably come up with more. One of the ways you're going to decide which of those key messages you want to focus on or drive the story to will be who is the audience that mm. you're speaking to, right? Or right. what's the context? So let's pick one. Let's pick a specific audience. Or let who might be the audiences that you <laughs> want to be telling the story to? So as you asked me that question, I came up with three. One could be a client. Yep. One could be the participants in a workshop. And one could be a potential uh, suitor, a, a, a partner, a life partner. <laughs> oh, excellent. Oh, fantastic. And I thought of a fourth, which would be um, folks you were training. Like if you were training yes. Absolutely. Right. That's who I thought it would be because this, this is a great tip for fellow facilitators. Yes. That's not about being perfect. It's about um, um, being aware and being honest and being brave. Right. So which, which would it be fun to, uh, which of those audiences would it be fun to play with for you? Yeah, let's do, go with the potential. No, let's go with potential participants. Because I think as listeners, people will be interested in, in hearing that. As participants. Okay. Yeah. So you're going to tell this story to pretend potential participants who might want to take your course. Okay. And you're going to tell this story. So now let's go back because it's an iterative process when you're thinking about your story. Now that you've chosen that audience, which of your key messages do you think is the most important or your sort of the key moral of your story that you want to focus on? Honestly, I think it would be the same as if I was training colleagues, the importance of, um, being brave and acknowledge when you've messed up. Great. It's an improv principle too, right? Like celebrate failure instead True. of running from it or being shamed by it, just leaning into it. And yeah. it's all right. Great. Okay. So we know the moral of our story. We know who our audience is. What is it you want people to do differently after you've told them the story? So what do you want participants to be able to do once you've told um, them the story? To... Um, not waste a lot of time going into shame, embarrassment, or horror of being hypocritical or disrespectful. And just it, it, as quickly as possible, acknowledge, oh, I screwed up. Great. So they don't get stuck there. They can just get right back up on the horse and try again and spend their time practicing and engage. Yeah. Beautiful. What's in it for them to do what you're asking them to do? Um, I think a lot of health issues could be uh, either resolved or avoided by not wasting a lot of time going into shame and horror and embarrassment. I think um, a lot of um, uh, um, unrelated conflict could be reduced because often we explode at other people when we're feeling embarrassed or ashamed. Yeah. It's, you know, they say it's the cover up, not the crime. (laughs) In some ways, I think we cause so much more trouble in, you know, to sort of after the, 
initial right? act of whatever we've done, right? And so often uh, the criminal justice system is less lenient when they see there's been a big cover-up as opposed to, you know, yeah, it was me. <laughs> yeah, right? It's so funny. Um, what are the obstacles for people doing what you're asking them to do? Um, it's very scary. It takes a lot of courage and it's very a lot of bravery. And there's a lot of fear of, you know, I'm going to be reprimanded or um, isolated from the group. I'll be, you know, seen as an outcast um, or be made to be an outcast. And, and then there's also... Uh, the ego wanting to fight the, yeah, but, you know, he blah, blah, blah. It's not fair. Yeah, well, he kind of deserved it. He was really interrupting the class. And, you know, was, I, he was baiting me for a long time. And I had self-control for so long before I actually went credit on it. Right? So those are, I just asked you five questions to sort of analyze who your audience was, what your message was. I said, what's your key message? Who is your audience? And then we iterated there for a little bit. Yeah. And then I said, what's in it for them? Or what do you want them to do differently? What's in it for them? What are the obstacles? And then the final question after you've answered all of those five is, what are they, given all of that, what do they need to know and feel and be able to do? And that will be the stuff that you'll then put back into creating your story. And what I'll ask you now, since we already heard your story is, given all of those questions, when you think back onto your story, what are you going to want to turn up the heat on or tweak in mm. how you tell it? Um, maybe, maybe more about the defensive thing, how, you know, just help share more with my inner thinking with them to help them see, oh man, I was really, um, uh, um, felt righteous in the moment. I think I'll also turn up the part about how um, elaborate on how he not only did he, you know, within the 15 minutes after he became back to this full expression of himself, himself, he then continued for the rest of the training to stay fully engaged and showed and told me after how much he appreciated. So um, I identifying that, by making them, it's not the mistake that we make, it's how we handle it by choosing to acknowledge it and taking full responsibility for it. Uh, not only can I clean it up, I, things can actually um, improve even, which is yeah. so hard to believe in the moment. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's great. Cool. Wow, thanks for that. And I love how we came up with those different characters. And plus, you know, you know, if it's, I, I was thinking it'd be a really good story on a date, like, um, you know, I'm I'm so amazing that when I screw up, I'm like, oops, it was me. Don't you want to be in a relationship with me? <laughs> or a great story to share on a date because you could share how not perfect you are and how willing right. you are to be vulnerable and yes. share how you make mistakes, which is yeah. really very sexy. Right? It is. And it's so, you and I want to talk about authenticity and vulnerability. And I was thinking how that story really speaks to that and how there's so many people who are convinced that being vulnerable is such a bad idea and so dangerous. And the irony is that it shows confidence and um, it shows our humanity. And it, it especially is great if you're already someone high status when you do it because Must. you can, you know, you connect more with people. Yeah. Agreed. So um, 
we've been talking around this the thing about status and um, this model. Of, I've been talking about the predator prey. So for listeners, a quick overview of this model that my sister Pat Kirkland developed. And she studied many disciplines. One of them was improv. And she talks about how the predator is the high status. She shows too much respect for herself, not enough others, often leaving bodies in their path. The prey usually shows too much respect for the other and not enough for themselves and can trigger others to mistreat them. And then the partner is equal status, holding high respect for themselves and for the other, regardless of their positional power, regardless of the situation. Um, And it's easy for many of us to do when all is well. You know, we've been fed and watered and COVID hasn't overtaken our lives. The challenge is, can we be partner under pressure? And what you talked about earlier about, you know, always approaching each exchange, each moment as a performance and realizing I get to do it differently every time going forward. Nothing is written in stone. Yeah. I think this awareness, you know, it gets back to our awareness. I think this animal status, this dominance and submission um, dance that we do as you talk about it is something that's happening all the time. It's something we get very uncomfortable talking about, certainly in the States, mm-hmm. you know, there's this assumption that we're all supposed to be equal all the time. And any conversation about power dynamics makes people very uncomfortable to the idea that we even acknowledge it makes people uncomfortable. Yes. But in fact, it's happening all the time. So when we can tune our awareness to it, it actually empowers us to create the relationships that we want to have. And Keith Johnstone was great at, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he wasn't American. He was British, right? Mm-hmm. So it's much more overtly in the system um, to to show us that these status dynamics are this thing that we do, not this thing that we have. And to look at our habitual performances within this way and then expand our range of options can, can really help us create the dynamic that we want and rather than just be uh, at the mercy of the environment that we, the, the relationship or the dynamic that we are habitually attuned to creating. Yeah. You taught, we, when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this, uh, this challenge that people have when we're, we're encouraging them to take on new behaviors. So maybe someone who's been showing up as low status brings in the high status behaviors. Yeah. Someone who's always high status brings in, you know, the balance of, of lower status and so that they get that blend that we talked about with partner, which is um, high competence, high likability. And one of the things that people often say to me, well, Amy, isn't partner being manipulative? Mm. And I say, yes. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, that was easy. <laughs> and I say, and, and I also, here's the bad news. I also believe predator and prey are also manipulative because we're doing it for a certain outcome, except we're doing it habitually and unconsciously, so it doesn't feel um, like it doesn't feel like a form of manipulation. Right. And I said, and the reason why I'm okay with partner being manipulative is because 
I'm going to do everything I can to equalize that power dynamic to get what I want in that situation. And if I don't get it, my job is to stay partner nonetheless. So for example, go back to the, the, the example with the waitress at the restaurant today. Um, she shifted and, and, um, and so I continued to be partner with her and it, there was still a little bit of coldness. She wasn't, you know, making such an effort. And so my job was not to punish her um, for not being, you know, like 100% partner with me. And getting my ego out of the way is a big part of being able to stay partner under pressure. The, talk more about the idea of authenticity and people's challenge with that. Yeah. I had a realization around this after a number of conversations with clients because I got this same pushback, right? I talk about expanding your performance awareness and range and people would say, well, but I want to be authentic. And it took me a while, but where I finally landed was there's a distinction between habit Mm. and authenticity. Yeah. And you know, habit is just that. It's the way we're used to doing things. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way that is most aligned with our true nature or our true uh, intention or our values. It just means it's our habitual way of doing things. So, uh, and our authentic way of being may be actually very out of alignment with our habits. So, for example, if I have a habit of twisting my hair around my finger <laughs> when I'm talking to people, um, that's going to lower my status, right? It's right. going to make me seem like prey. It's going to be very distracting and send a very clear low status signal no matter what else I'm doing. I may not authentically be low status at all, right? I may be a very powerful person, but unless I can break that habit, they are not going to see my authentic, powerful self because that habit's going to be getting in the way. So I like to think about it like any other skill that you're building. Like when you learn to play the violin, you don't say to yourself, it's inauthentic for me to play the violin because right now I can't play it. Right. You just say, I'm learning a new skill, <laughs> right? It's, it's not comfortable for me to learn to be playing the violin. I'm not good at it yet. It's not easy. I'm not unconsciously competent at it yet or driving a car or for a baby to be learning to walk, right? But, but that doesn't mean it's not inauthentic. So right. for me, I test authenticity with by, is it aligned with my intention? Is it aligned with my values? Okay, then it's authentic even if it's something that I have to consciously practice. And that helps me because when I coach people and they say, you know, if, I want, if they want to show up as more powerful, and I say, okay, I'm going to have you keep your body more still. And you're going to speak with a stronger volume and something called a downward inflection. And you're going to pause and be silent and do all these things. And, and they just, it gives them the heebie-jeebies. Because what's interesting is someone who leans towards prey and we bring in more of the high competent behaviors of the predator before it's too much, they feel rude, aggressive, or disrespectful. Right. Whereas someone who is naturally um, high competent and maybe we need to soften the edges a bit so they appear more approachable 
and safer to be around, so we had them had them smile more or maybe ask more questions, they feel silly, stupid, or ridiculous. So one of the things we do is we use video recording to close the app because yeah, it's very I important. can, you know, I, I can speak about it all day to, to convince them and once they watch themselves, they're like, Oh, okay, I get it. Right. Because it how it feels isn't how it looks. Exactly. Yeah. It's especially hard when we're having people ch- change, asking people to change their voice oh, okay. because our voice is so tied to our sense of self, mm-hmm. right? Um, I remember this from speech class and acting class. I mean, these were actors in conservatory trained programs, right? By definition, we were willing to be other people, right? And when we were being asked to learn stage standard American speech, right? Stage standard speech, name your country. uh, It was very confronting for people because our identity is so tied with how we sound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's... And inevitably, they'll listen to the recording and they'll say, you know, that doesn't sound like me. I say, well, you're used to hearing yourself in your head. Right. And now you're hearing it how everybody else hears it. And so that helps them like, oh, okay, I get that. Right. Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't, you know, but people don't go to the gym and work out and say, oh, this is not authentically my body because now I have abs. (laughs) Right. You know, it's a funny, it's just a funny story that we tell ourselves the other thing that struck me about what you were saying is the, the, just this idea of power. One of the things we do sometimes is we say, we ask a, a, a group of participants before we start engaging this, raise your hand if you want to have power. Mm-hmm. And maybe 20% of the room will raise their hand. You know, a couple, two or three people raise their hands high and right. Strong, right? And then a few more will sort of tentatively raise their hand, like maybe a little bit. Being willing to say, I want power, is it's really taboo. Yes. And then we have to say, okay, so what do we mean by power? Mm-hmm. We say power is control of resources. Power is the ability to affect change, right? To implement your goals. And people go, oh, right. I want to be able to do that. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I right. want to be able to do that, right? Exactly. But we have all of this stuff around yeah. power, right? That power corrupts or mm-hmm. it makes you bad, right? We have these images. And so that people are very conflicted. Yes. And something that to the flip side of, or to one extreme is I talk also in my trainings about privilege. Mm-hmm. And I, I have this little uh, phrase Privilege can lead to a sense of entitlement, which can lead to JLB, jerk-like behavior. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then I list all of the possible things that can be related to privilege. Gender, race, money, position, height, physical perceived attractiveness, able-bodiedness. Somebody said, you know, being on the spectrum or not, you know, so the list keeps growing, religion. And it'll adjust according to the environment you're in. Though I said, okay, you know, and I'll have everyone in the room. I said, well, go through the list and how, see how many you can check off. You don't have to tell me a number just for yourself and your mind. Yeah. And what you see is a sense of, sense of um, guilt or shame coming over. I said, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. We simply want, what I want is to raise your awareness. And I'm also not suggesting you give away all your money or, your, you know, get rid of your job or whatever. Just by having awareness can help us to make different choices. That's right. You know, so that is um, you, because most people don't have the 
value of wanting to dominate others. They want things to be fair, except when you're in a role of privilege, you don't always realize that there is, it's unequal. Yes. And, mm. and this, my dear, is a whole other podcast. Okay. Fair <laughs> How enough. we assess fairness. This is my favorite chapter of my graduate school program, but Excellent. for another day. Okay, good. All right. Well, listen, um, we're going to start to wrap up. And Kat, what I want to ask you is to share with the listeners a call for action. Based on what we've been talking about today, what would you invite people to consider? As you start to be aware of your own stories and the stories you're making up in your head, share them like you did, Amy. And the more stories you're willing to share about your own vulnerability or your own sense of fear or loss or failure, the safer you make it for other people to self-examine and share their stories. And then we just don't have fake social media posts. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that it, it, it's hard, as Brene Brown talks about, it's hard for the shame to take hold when you put light on it. Yes. Yes. So my call for action is to check out Kat's podcast, Dare to be Human. Specifically, you might want to check out the episode, uh, I think it's from uh, September 4th, 2018, with Melissa Jones-Briggs on power and status. Very powerful and, and will really support what we've been talking about today. My second call for action is to send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, and blunders and success stories. Now, you can send them to me either via email or social media. And what I want to do is I want to read them and perhaps discuss them on future shows and maybe even make suggestions. You can always say, Amy, make this anonymous. Do not, you know, I don't want my boss to know about this. <laughs> so you can change the names of the guilty parties. And you can reach me on amy at carolcoaching.com. That's two R's and two L's. And Kat, if you want to... Before I let you go, three ways you can reach out to Kat uh, on her LinkedIn, and that was is going to be Coppet, and that's K-O-P-P-E-T-T, or her website, Coppet.com, or the podcast on either go directly to her website or find it on whatever podcast app you use, Dare to be Human. Be sure to tune in next week when I will be interviewing Natasha Konstantinova, a crisis communications consultant. Natasha will be sharing multiple examples of professional and personal moments of crisis, what she learned along the way, and her sage advice to listeners for successfully managing through crisis. Also, if you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping over to do a Facebook Live in five minutes past the hour for a short chat from our uh, discussion today. Feel free to connect with me on my social media channels. That's Amy Carol Coaching or my website, carolcoaching.com. Kat, thank you. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner Look good.